Well, we're picking up in chapter 9 of Leviticus. We left off in chapter 8. We finished it up last week. I just want to say something right from the get-go. This could be a very, very important chapter or two for some of us. Um, if you are a person that is inclined towards ministry, and on some level we're all called to ministry. We're going to talk about that. But there are some extremely valuable lessons tucked into this little scene um, that we're about to, to tread on. So um, just kind of a heads up on that. This is actually one of the chapters in chapter 10 that God has radically used in my life um, just as it relates to ministry and, and longevity in ministry and things like that. So um, we'll get there, but let's back up and talk a little bit about where we've been. Um, in the first seven chapters, as you guys know, the focus was on the offerings because Leviticus is basically a, a book of worship, how God's people are to, um, you know, approach and live before a holy God. And so the first seven chapters dealt with sacrifice and how just right out of the beginning, you know, God was communicating very clearly. You don't just come into the presence of a holy God. You have to have your sins atoned for. And we spent a lot of time on that. But then the, the, it shifted just a little bit related to those sacrifices. But then in chapter 8, we started reading about the priesthood. All this was kind of given to us in Exodus, but now it's kind of happening. And just like there was a need for a sacrifice, a substitute, there was also a need for a mediator, a priest. And so now we're dealing with that in chapters 8, 9, and 10. In chapter 8, um, what we saw there is this long, very detailed, kind of complicated ordination ceremony. It was, it was kind of talked about in Exodus chapter 29, but it was carried out here in Levitic, Leviticus chapter 8, where Aaron and his sons were, were brought to the, the tabernacle and the whole congregation's all huddled around, and they went through this very ornate, detailed ceremony to kind of ordain them, prepare them uh, for the ministry. And we looked at that, and, and just kind of as a reminder, you guys, um, just like the sacrifices foreshadowed what Christ would ultimately do for us. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Amen? He the Lamb of God. He is also the ultimate fulfillment of the priesthood. He is the mediator that we have between God and man, and we've talked about that. But something else that I just want to remind us of as we go into this, just like Aaron kind of foreshadowed Christ as our great high priest, Aaron's sons who served under him, who were also priests, kind of foreshadow for us what we are in the New Testament as the church. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. Revelation 1, John calls us a kingdom of priests. And in a, in a, in a way, every Christian is also a believer-priest. We have a priestly ministry, not so much of mediation, like people don't have to come to us to get to God. That's only Jesus, but of ministry. We get to bring people before God in prayer. We, we get to bring God before people in just declaring who he is. We have a ministry to one another. Does that make sense to some degree? The reason I bring that up is because we're going to see that play out more um, as it relates to us and, and practical things for our lives. So kind of put that on the back burner. And what we're going to do is jump into chapter 9. Now chapter 9, we've gone from the ordination and now it's like the next day. This is no longer the ordination ceremony, guys. Chapter 9, which might seem a little detailed and boring to us, was actually in a very exciting moment for the children of Israel because it's, it's like classroom time is over. Now it's time to get on the job. 
The ordination ceremony is over. Now it's time to actually do this thing and go to work. And what we see in chapter 9 is the first actual um, doing of the priesthood. They're actually going to sacrifice for the people in front of another, and we're going to see the result of that. So pick up with me, and I'm going to read a very large chunk. Um, so just bear with me, but um, read along and follow. Verse 1. On the eighth day, so it was seven days for the ordination ceremony, but on the very next day, the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull, excuse me, a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. And we, we've looked at all of those offerings. We're not going to take the time to, to go over them again. But look at this next phrase. For or because today the Lord will appear to you. Verse 5. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. I want you just to note again, because it, it came up in, in chapter 8. It's going to come up a few times in chapter 9. An all-important phrase where it says, That which the Lord commanded you to do. They are carrying out what God told them to do. They're following the directions. They're obeying. That's kind of the idea. Verse 8. So Aaron drew near to the altar, and he killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Again, he had to, they, the priests had to bring the offering for themselves, but they also had to bring the offering for the people, but they couldn't do that until they offered for themselves. Verse 9. And the sons of Aaron presented blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, and he put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 11, the flesh, the skin, he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed him the burnt offering to him, piece by piece, and the head. And he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them on the altar uh, excuse me, burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Verse 15. Then he presented the people's offerings, and he took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people, and he killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering, and he offered it according to the rule. Verse 17. He presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Then, verse 18, he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of the peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood. He threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put fat pieces on the breast and burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast of the right thigh, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. Now, I am with you. That is a lot. And it's tedious. And we're like, didn't we already read that like over and over? And the answer to that is, yes, we have. But you guys, they are being very meticulous 
and they're obeying everything God told them to do. And every little detail that we find a little boring had significance, and it, and it stood for something. And it was important to God that they do it just how he told them, and they, they did it. And then it says, and they did it. Now, here's the thing. If you were bored at all, in fact, even if you were like one of the congregation out there like, oh my gosh, can we just hurry this thing up? How long is this going to take? All of that went away in the next verse. Because check it out. Everything's done. Sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering, grain offering, all the offerings done. When it's all done, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and they came out and they blessed the people. Oh, actually, pause there for a second. I love this. They, they came out and they blessed the people. They pronounced a blessing on the people. Probably what they did was pronounce the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. I'm just going to read it to you. This was the blessing that Aaron and his sons were to, to pronounce upon the people. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 22. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you will say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I love this verse. Listen. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Just a little word about that real quick before we get back to the scene. They come out and they pronounce this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they pronounce that blessing. That's what they were to do upon the people. And I just want to give you a little, I don't know, just something practical. I love that blessing. I, I, I know it's Old Testament, but it says right there, put my name on them and I will bless them. And I really believe God honors it when we say, God bless you. I know that we can say that very, like, in for, like almost like I got a habit, like as, see you later, God bless you. I do that all the time. But there are also times, a lot of times, throughout the years of raising my kids when they were sleeping and I would go into their room and I would lay my hand on them and I would say, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. And, and I'll just recite that over them. I'll sing it over them. I do it to JJ all the time. As he's falling asleep, I'm just pronouncing blessing, blessing, blessing. And I just believe that God's going to bless them. I just really do. Parents, pronounce a blessing on your kids. In faith, just say, the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. If you don't know what else to pray when you're praying for him, pray a blessing upon them. Amen? Well, anyway, back to the scene. So here's the thing. All the sacrifices are done. The blood's been taken in, splattered. All that's happened. Aaron goes up and he blesses the people. Then Aaron and Moses go into the tabernacle. They come out again and they pronounce this blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. And they do that whole thing and then check out what happens next. Verse 23. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. Like if they were bored at any time during this ceremony, they woke up in a hurry. Because they were there and they were just going through all the religious stuff and all of a sudden, boom, the Shekinah glory of God appears. 
probably in some visible way above the, you know, the Holy of Holies, this, this pillar of fire or whatever it was, this something tangible of his presence. You've heard pastors talk about this all the time. The word glory is kabod in the Hebrew. It carries the idea of weightiness, of something that's of substance. Something of God's presence was in that place all of a sudden. And then from that flashed, I don't know what it looked like. I would, I would love to know what it looked like. But this flash of fire just goes boom and hits the altar where all the, the offerings were put on there and they're smoldering and burning. Boom, and he just smokes it and just finishes consuming all of the sacrifices on the altar. What was that all about? What God was doing with his presence, with the fire from, from, his, from his glory and igniting the, the sacrifices, in essence, what God was saying is, I absolutely accept all of these offerings that you've, you've given to me. You are accepted in my sight. You've done it right. You've done it well. You obeyed. You came on my terms with obedience, and I bless that, and I'm here, and it's all good. Amen? On a separate note, I don't want to make too much of this, but I'll tell you what, you guys. I know that every time we gather and we have church, we're not going to have, you know, experiences and, and fires not coming down from heaven. But I'll tell you what, until his presence came down and fire lit up the altar, it was just a bunch of religious motions. And we got to be careful because we can just go through the religious motions. But what I desire, what we desire it's experience the weightiness and the reality of his presence when we gather together. Amen? Don't you long for that? I long for that. And look at the response was, you guys. The, the response was so appropriate. <laughs> like, they literally are seeing something of God's presence and fires, like, shooting out from it and, like, lighting up the, the, the sacrifice on the altar. And it says they did two things. It says they shouted, <laughs> and it says they fell on their faces. Some of, by the way, some of your um, translations, I think the NIV really nails this, actually. It says it's, they shouted with, what? Joy. In the Hebrew, I looked it up because I, I didn't know if it was true or not, but I looked it up, and it says that that word connotates shouting with joy. Like, they were, all, they was like, yes! And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Psalm 1611 says, in God's presence is the fullness of what? Joy. But simultaneous with, like, unexpressible joy where they're just like, oh, they shouted out, they also fell on their faces in what? Absolute holy reverence. That is also a very appropriate response when you're in the presence of God. I've never seen fire come up. I've never seen, you know, the Shekinah glory of God. But I've had experiences, maybe you have too, like during a worship time or just a, a prayer time alone by yourself, where you just sense that the Lord's presence is there. Anybody ever felt that or sensed that? And I'll tell you what, those are exactly the two responses I get in those rare times that I've had where all of a sudden joy just absolutely fills my heart. But there's also a fear, a holy reverence of just like, oh my goodness, and my not, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like be the hero of my own story. I'm just trying to illustrate this. I can remember one time just during the week right here, where nobody was here and I just was praying and there was something really heavy in my heart and I was praying about it. And I just felt like God met me here. And I crumpled just like, like a thousand pounds came upon me but it was in a good way and I just fell to my face in God's presence. And I, I long for that, amen? 
I can't wait for heaven when we're really just all the time in his presence, fullness of joy, and yet the awesomeness of his presence. It's going to be wonderful. But the euphoria of what they're experiencing is about to go away. <laughs> it's going to go from euphoria to tragedy here, lickety-split. So I just wish chapter 10 wasn't in here, but there's some great lessons for us, so let's look at it. They obeyed. God's glory came down. He accepted them. They respond with joy and, and fear and reverence. But look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, remember they were his like next oldest sons, each took his censer uh, and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, or some translations say strange fire, before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now we're breaking away from the pattern where they did this as the Lord commanded. They did this as the Lord commanded. But Nadab and Abihu do something that God did not tell them to do. And fire, oh good, more fire, came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Well, there's a lot here. There's a lot that just happened here. So we've got to spend a couple you know, moments on this, on this verse. Because at first read, you're like, what just happened? Like, why such the swift and harsh response from God? What were they doing that was so terrible? So what happened is, Fire came down, consumed the altar or the sacrifice on the altar, kind of probably in a flash or whatever. The people are just like in awe of God's presence, all the attention, all the glories on God. But Nadab and Abihu, for some reason, take these little censer pots or whatever they were. It says they put strange fire or unauthorized fire in it, got some incense, and it says, and now this is a little bit of a mystery here, because it says they offered it before the Lord. No one knows exactly how they did that, but many of the guys I've read, I mean, who am I? I just read the guys who study these things more than me, but it seems as though they might have tried to go into the holy place to offer it on the altar of incense or to even go into the holy of holies and present incense before God. Either way, they were wrong. What was the issue here? What was the big sin here? The bottom line is they were disobedient. Okay, that, I mean, that's generically what this is. They are just being disobedient. That was not the time. That was not the place. That was not the prescribed way that God had already told them how to burn incense. If it was incense to be taken into the Holy of Holies, that's on one day a year. That's on Yom Kippur. If it was incense to be burned, offered on the altar of incense, Okay, but that was supposed to be done in the morning and then at the evening by the priest that was on duty. These guys, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll suggest a couple of reasons in a minute. You can take them or leave them. But for whatever reason, they just do their own thing. And as they're trying to offer this to the Lord, God's like, no. Boom. And he kills them. Right on the spot. And Moses turns to Aaron and says, this is what I was telling you. The ministers that stand before God, what does he say? He says, um, 
they will be sanctified or holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. It's as if he's saying, I told you, Aaron, those who are going to serve me in this way, they better follow the directions because I will hold them accountable. I will be glorified. What they did was wrong. Okay, you got the picture? So what was so wrong about what they did? I mean, it's not like they were getting all immoral. It's not like they were like, you know, like, I don't know, dude. I don't, it just looks so holy what they were doing. They just grabbed some more incense. And isn't incense like a holy thing? But they were disobeying. The sin was disobedience. But guys, I, I believe personally, it's a little more sinister than just disobedience in the sense of like, oh, we just didn't know what we were doing. I believe that they were being willfully disobedient. Exodus chapter 30, by the way, verses 7 through 9 gives the, per, the, the subscription, prescription on how to do it. And they knew that. And they weren't doing it. But see, I think what's motivating this, or what's kind of behind this, in my opinion, and, and th- I'm just giving you my opinion so you don't have to take it. I think it's pride. Personally, I think it's disobedience pushed by pride. And the pride, of, I, I think, was being manifest in a couple of ways. It was, it was presumption. They were presuming upon God. It was almost like they were like, oh yeah, this is going down. And like, for whatever reason, they wanted to either be the center of attention or just be, I don't know what they were thinking, but they were presuming that, hey, we can just do this and go in just like my dad Aaron did and Moses did. We'll just go in like they did because we're, we're priests too. And it's almost like they're oblivious to the fact that, wait a minute, you're not allowed to do that. But in their mind, they're like, what's so wrong? We can do whatever we want. Does that make sense? It smacks to me of this idea of entitlement. Guys, listen, this is a huge issue. This can be a huge issue for those in the ministry, for those who have some kind of position. There can be this idea of entitlement where, where, well, that rule doesn't really apply to me. And what does it result in? Abuse of power. Have you guys not seen this in church like I have? Abuse of power. Abuse of money. Abuse of privilege. Because, well, the rules don't apply to me. And God is like, oh, yes, they do. Don't presume that just because you're a son of Aaron, you can just go in however you want. God is stating loud and clear once again, you don't just get to come in any old way you want. You have to come on my terms. And you will be holy. So there was a sin of, I think, willful presumption. But also, I think what's, what's and again, this is just me, and I, I'm not trying to read into it too much, but this is what I came away with. They were presuming upon God, but also I think there was some pretense involved. Pretense. Why, why did they need to do that? Why? All the attention was on God. Everybody was in a, like a mode of worship, and then they just kind of stepped in. It's almost as if they were kind of wanting to be seen a little bit. And they go in. Listen, this is what's a crack up. They had zero heart for obedience, but they still wanted to look holy in front of the people. They didn't want to obey, but they wanted to look holy. And guys, God kills them for it. This reminded me of what Pastor Steve was saying on Sunday with uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, right at the beginning of the church, when hypocrisy was coming in, when hypocrisy reared its ugly head, God was like, just so everybody knows, I hate this. And it's almost like the same thing here where hypocrisy on day one rears its ugly head and God's like, it's, I hate it. 
It leads people astray. When you pretend you're something that you're not and you have no heart of obedience, this does damage. This is not representing me. And he just like sends a very clear message. And just like Ananias and Sapphira, I also believe that Nadab and Abihu are with the Lord. I think God was sending a message. I don't think they lost their salvation or anything like that. But God was very clear. So the point of all this is it was disobedience that was probably rooted in pride, presuming upon God maybe some pretense, hypocrisy. God deals very quickly with it. Now look at verses 4 through 7. This is, this is really interesting. Verses 4 through 7, he says, Now Moses called Mishael and uh, uh, Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, so the cousins. And he said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and they carried them into the, uh, in their coats, excuse me, out of the camp. And Moses, as Moses had said, and Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, listen to this, do not let your hair off your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon the whole congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning of the Lord as he has kindled. Verse 7, do not go outside the entrance of the meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So letting down their hair, ripping their clothes, that would have been an outward sign of grief and mourning. And God, or excuse me, Moses tells Aaron, don't you dare tear your clothes right now. I know your oldest sons just got killed by God and they're laying down their dead, but you do not mourn in front of everybody right now. You let everybody else mourn and there'll be a time for you to mourn later, but right now there's a job to do. And that, that's interesting, isn't it? What a hard thing to be asked to do. Can you imagine being in Aaron's shoes? Like literally watching your kids die because they disobey God. And God says, you better not cry about it or I'll kill you. Why? I think the answer to that is because had Aaron ripped his clothes and pulled his hair down and mourned and wailed and ran out of there, it would have communicated the wrong thing. It would have called into question the fairness of God. It would have called into question the judgment of God. And it's like he was saying, no, this is what I want you to communicate, Aaron, that holiness and obedience is more important than even the life of your sons. Isn't that heavy? Like, you let everybody else cry for him. You right now, you need to obey me. I, I just, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. And I don't even know exactly how to apply it other than to say that, you know, sometimes I know for sure when I complain or, or cry and moan about my situation, I'm not trying to do it, but sometimes I send the wrong message to people that God's not fair. You know, a tragedy happens or this happens and we're like, oh my gosh, and not that we, and by the way, the Bible's not teaching us that we can't mourn or cry for those who we've lost. It's just a specific thing here. But I think we do need to be careful about being so quick to call God's fairness or, or, or judgment into question and remember that he's God, amen? Another thing that kind of prompted me was like, you know what? His sons died, but he's basically was like, Aaron, but you still got to live holy. You know, you can live a holy life. You can do things well and still have kids that go sideways. Do you guys know that? I, th I think Aaron probably did a good job raising his kids, but they still went sideways a little bit. It's this, oh, this nasty thing called free will that we all have. 
But I think for somebody, you might need to take a little pressure off yourself. Like, I raised them right. How come they went sideways? Well, you know what? They're little sinners. And they have free will. But you continue to follow God and you continue to do the thing you've been called to do. Amen? Well, moving on, there's just a couple more things to point out here, but this is fascinating. Right in the middle of all this, verse 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron. The Lord himself (laughs) speaks to Aaron and says, drink no wine or strong drink, you and your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout the generations. You are to distinguish between holy and common, between unclean and clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. This is all happening right in the same moment. This isn't like a week later that he tells them this. He's telling them right now. God says, Aaron, when you're on duty, when you or your kids are on duty as priests, you are not to drink wine. You are not to have any alcohol in your system. Why? Because they were to be able to distinguish between clean and unclean holy and unholy, and having alcohol in their system would skew their judgment. What is God insinuating here? I believe personally what's being insinuated is Nadab and Abihu had been drinking. It's very, I'm not saying that is exactly what happened, but given the context of how this is flowing, right on the heels of this, God says, and don't drink when you come in to serve me. It seems as though Nadab and Abihu had had some drinks, and maybe that fueled their misjudgment of like thinking it's a good idea to stroll into the Holy of Holies. He says, don't do it. Now we've been in this awesome section of 1 Corinthians on Sundays talking about liberties and, and, and hopefully we know by now what the Bible says about drinking. I'm not saying that you can never drink. The Bible says that being drunk is a sin. Um, but there's, there's a liberty and some people have that liberty to maybe have a, a beer with their pizza or a glass of wine for dinner or whatever. Um, there's a a liberty there if if God gives you that liberty. But it is interesting to me that God says, when you're on duty, when you're in the ministry and you're, this is interesting to me. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting. That God says, when alcohol's in your system, it skews your judgment. And so all I'm going to say about that is, be really, really wise. Especially you young men, you young ladies, you guys that are in the ministry, just be wise. I'm not going to go beyond what the scripture says. I have, I have a lot of great pastor friends that have liberty to have wine, and like not right before second service or something like that, but you know, like with their dinner. But, but I just think we need to, in, in, our current, in our current culture, just use extreme wisdom when we're dealing with this subject because it skews our judgment. I'll just read a, from Proverbs chapter 31. You guys know this one, right? know right where I'm going with this. Proverbs 31. Not the Proverbs 31 woman. She's sitting in the back row. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. This is words from mom to the king. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Don't give your strength to women. This is a word for somebody. Mom's like, what are you doing? Don't give your strength to a woman. Are your ways to those who destroy kings? It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget 
what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. All I'm saying is, is that when alcohol was involved in this case, it skewed their judgment. And we just need to be really, really careful with that. Amen? Just let the Holy Spirit lead you. I did feel earlier that perhaps this was a word specifically for somebody where you are personally wrestling with whether you should exercise your liberty in this or not. And maybe the Lord is just bringing it up again uh, to say, take a second look at this. So that's all I'll say about it, but it is interesting. It's fascinating. Verse 12. Now, again, verse 12, we're just going to cruise right to the end of the chapter because it's all linked, um, and then we'll wrap it up. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, uh, the surviving sons. He said, take the grain offering that's left of the Lord's food offering and eat it, uh, eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is uh, most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offering. And so I have commanded... But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, uh, is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as a due, and your sons due from the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the people of Israel. The thigh is the con- uh, contribu- contributed, excuse me, and the breast that is waved, they shall bring the food offerings and the fat pieces to wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. It should be you and your sons and your due forever. We read that before, a couple of chapters ago. This is all happening all at once. And he goes, now, take the sin offering and let's just get back to business. Remember, you're supposed to eat part of that and eat it in the clean place where you're supposed to eat it. And he's like, come on, guys, let's get back on track. Take the sin offering, offer the blood and and eat the portion that's yours and do it in the clean place. Let's get back on track. But look at verse 16. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar and the surviving sons of Aaron. So what happens is he gave them that, hey, guys, don't forget to take care of business, do what's right, da-da-da. Maybe he goes off and does something, comes back. He's like, where's the goat offering? Where's the sin offering? He finds out they just burned the whole thing. That's not how you're supposed to do a sin offering. Guys, remember this? They're supposed to burn part of it and then eat the rest of it. But they did it wrong. They burned the whole thing. And it says he was so angry. Verse 17, he says, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary since it is a thing most holy and given to you that you bear the iniquity of the congregation and make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary like I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they, that would be Nadab and Abihu, offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these has happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? When Moses heard that, he approved. This is really interesting. Whether they accidentally burned it all or they weren't in the right state of mind, they got thrown for a loop when the kids got killed or whatever, or they just were like, I don't have the heart to eat it right now. Like, it was a mess up. And Moses is like, why'd you do that? And it's like Aaron's just saying, God, I was just... I didn't have the heart to eat it. I don't have an appetite. My sons died today. If I would have eaten that, it, it, he's basically saying, it would have just been pretense before God. I just, he was just being really real, I think, at this moment. And Moses goes, okay, all right. It's just very gracious. By the way, isn't it interesting? Like, this is day one of the priestly ministry. <laughs> if ever there's a message being sent, Again, remember what we said, like Hebrews is kind of like the New Testament, like counterpart to Leviticus. 
And Hebrews points out the need for a better priesthood. Because the priesthood, in this case, we call it the Aaronic priesthood because Aaron, it's flawed because they're flawed. And on day one, it's just like, oh my gosh, the whole priesthood thing's messed up. That's why when Jesus is called our great high priest, he, he, he's actually not a son of Aaron. Did you guys know that? That's actually the problem where they're like, hey, how can Jesus be our high priest? He's not a son of Aaron. No, he's from a different order. He's, he's from the priesthood of Melchizedek, and that's a whole other Bible study for another night. But the point is, is that there was a need for a better priesthood and a better priest, and it was Jesus. Amen? Now, I mentioned at the very beginning, I'm just going to take five more minutes because there is a lesson tucked in here that for me, just very personally, has just like been so valuable over the years. It's really, I'm not like just saying this, like this is one of those go-to principles for me. And I first heard it 20-some years ago when my pastor at the time, Pastor John, was teaching through Leviticus, and he was teaching about this idea of offering strange fire before God. And it, it just resonated with me. And it's basically the idea is this. You know, on, beyond the fact that they were doing everything wrong, Nadab and Abihu, by even trying to offer incense at that moment and in that way, I mean, that was ultimately wrong. But even on top of that, did you guys notice it says they offered strange fire, unauthorized fire. Now, what's fascinating about that is that even if they, it was the right time to offer the incense, they got the fire for the incense from the wrong place. Leviticus 16, later on, will tell us, I think right around verse 12, that when it was time to burn incense, you had to go to the altar and get the fire from off the altar. And that was to be used to burn the incense. These guys produced their own fire. From where? I don't know, it doesn't say, but it wasn't evidently from off the altar. It was strange fire, unauthorized fire. And this is the ministry lesson. We have to get our fire from the altar. If we try to minister in a self-made fire, there's not going to be a longevity to our ministry. As my pastor put it, it's kind of corny, but it's so true. You'll get burned out, literally. Literally. These guys got burned out, see it? And why do pastors, why do worship leaders, and, and why do Sunday school teachers, and why do deacons, and why do missionaries, and why do you experience burnout? Why do they fizzle out? A lot of times it's because the fire for their ministry is not coming from off the altar. It's a, it's a self-generated fire. Does that make sense? The altar is always a picture of the cross, and the cross is where God demonstrated his love for us. And the point I'm trying to make is, if our motive for ministering to God is not directly coming from the love of God, specifically from the cross of Jesus Christ, if that's not what's driving us, any other motive is a lesser motive and will eventually fail us in the thick of things. Amen? We've got to constantly be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We've got to constantly be coming back to the cross. This, Paul put it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, he said, It is the love of Christ that constrains, controls, um, compels me to do what I do. What was, what was his motive? The love of Christ. There's a lot of other good motives out there. Listen, 
A lot of people are motivated by the need. There's just a need. There's a huge need. That's true. But if that's your motivation, someday you're just going to get swallowed up by the enormity of the need and you're going to burn out. I just love kids and I want to do kids ministry. That's great that you love kids. But if your driving motivation is your love for kids, that love for kids is going to wane. And about four weeks into Sunday school, you're going to be like, I don't know if I love kids anymore. (laughs) Some people out of guilt. Well, I just feel like I'm supposed to serve. That one will burn out real quick. Or some self-need to be recognized or in the ministry or whatever. But then when no one thanks you, or no one recognizes you, you burn out. Or just time or whatever. And guys, I've seen this in my own life. I've watched it in people around me, and I, who am I? I'm nobody. I've just been in the game a little bit longer than some of us and not as long as some others. But in my short little sample of ministry time, I can say, quite honestly, here's what will help you avoid burnout. Because people will fail you, churches will fail you, leadership will fail you, friends will fail you, ministry will fail you. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. When I just draw my life and draw my motive and draw my just fire from, because I've just been in the presence of Jesus, and it's not about me getting a name or me doing this or fulfilling, it's just because Jesus told me to do this and he loves, I just, I have to because he loves me so much, I want to. It makes all the difference in the world. Amen? I really worry about missionaries and pastors and people that are charging all the time, but they never have time to just be alone with the Lord and just be in his presence. Like, you're going to burn out. It happens to the best of us. We've got to get the fire from the cross, from the altar. Amen? So I hope that helps you. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not communicating as great as others, but I'll tell you, this has been a, r- a real go-to in my life. When I find myself getting all spun and just all like, oh, like, and just like, well, how come they are, no, 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 and I just realized I've taken my eyes off Jesus. I've taken, I, I just haven't been spending time with, with him. Am I doing this because I love Christ? You know what I'm saying? I hope that helps. Let's pray, and um, we'll, we'll move on. Why don't we all stand together and then we'll, we'll pray ourselves out of here. Well, Father, thank you for Leviticus. What a crazy story. Father, we, it, it would be amazing to be there and see this whole thing unfold and we're trying to grab lessons from it. One thing for sure, Lord, we see that, Lord, you are holy. And we thank you for Jesus for our being our sacrifice, and we thank you, Jesus, for being our great high priest, and thank you that we we don't try to come before God in our own merit or our own ability. We just come in Christ, and we thank you, Lord, that you're pleased with us, not because of us, but because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Father, would you help us to, to be obedient? Lord, would you kill any pride or pretense and and Lord, we're all subject, subject to it, Lord. The best of us, Lord, wrestle with these things. Nobody here is immune to this. We all have a little Pharisees living inside of us. Lord, would you show us when we're being little Pharisees? And would you just help us to repent? Thanks you don't kill us every time that we do that. Father, I also pray that we would get the fire from the altar. Whatever ministry we've been called to, I pray that... We, what would fire us up 
is not results, not any other motive. It would just be the love of Christ. Just wreck us every day with your love. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.